and so good to see you all today. And our talk today is called Let Faith Arise. And last week, as you know, we've been going through Hebrews and we have been looking at how from the outset that Hebrews is a book about confidence. It's a book about confidence in God. I think if you remember way back in September that we actually titled that one of our talks was about being a confident woman because God wants us to be confident women in a world that is actually very shaky and very difficult at times and I think we're all very aware of that. But God calls on us to be confident women, even in difficult times. And so last week we looked at how we took another little skirt around chapters 78 and 9 and 10. And we've been kind of skirting around there, driving around there for a few weeks. And we decided we were pushing up to the door of uh, the great hallway to the Heroes of Faith in chapter 11. But before we do that, I had to just dip back for just a wee quick reminder because uh, at the end of chapter 10, I just thought it would be really good to read these verses. They're from the New Living um, Translation, from Hebrews 10, verse 22. It says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without, faith, without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not, be, not neglect the meeting, meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of Christ's return is drawing near. I think those verses are really, really relevant to us as we meet together and encourage each other to keep holding, keep trusting. And then a, a little bit further down that chapter in Hebrews 10, you'll see verse 35, it says, and again, this is going back to last week to remind you, it says in verse 35, I'm going the wrong chapter, here we are. Yeah, so do, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. So do you see those words with confidence, to hold on to that confidence and to be patient about it? And we looked last week at the need for patience and we looked at the need for confidence. And as we enter into uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, we see that again, the same idea is there about having confidence in God because the New Living Translation says in chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. So because the Old Testament believers, because a lot of the people in the Old Testament had faith, had confidence in God, and actually gave a good report, or if you like, a good testimony, or a good reputation to the world outside. Because they looked at these men and women who had faith in God. And that's what we're looking for today, for all of us. That we might be women who are confident to believe God's word, to believe that what he says is true. And not just to believe it on the good days, but to believe it whenever everything looks as if the opposite has taken place. And when we, when we actually stand in the face of adversity and trust God, something happens that the world outside begins to take notice. And a testimony. And somebody said one time, you can't have a testimony without a test. So it does mean being tested. It does mean standing whenever it looks like you're foolish to believe. But God's saying, that's what I want to see in my people. I want my people to trust me even in dark days. I want my people to know that I will work it out that I will walk with them through the valleys of life. And this is what we're talking about. And so God wants us to um, have faith and to be confident in him. And last week we just ended up with looking at a few quotes about, about, um, about faith. Here's one of them. There are times when we have to step into the darkness in faith, confident that God will place solid ground beneath our feet once we do. 
You know, they didn't, they didn't open up um, the Red Sea until they stepped in. The Jordan wasn't opened up until they stepped in. Faith isn't a feeling, it's a choice to trust God, even when the road ahead seems uncertain. Faith is not something you just have, it's something you constantly have to work towards. Faith is not a feeling, it's a decision you have to make every day. God didn't promise days without pain, laughter without sorrow, or sun without rain, but he did promise strength for the day, comfort for the tears, and light for the way. If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. We looked at that last week. So those are just a reminder of some of the the quotes that we had about faith last week. And as we get ready to look at what faith is as we enter this chapter, I just think it's amazing to think that God... God looks at us and he says, I'm depending that they're going to trust me. Absolutely. That's what God wants, absolute trust. He wants us to trust him completely. Here's the way the Amplified puts it. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things that we hope for, being the proof of things that we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. For by faith, trust and holy fervour, born of faith, the men and women of old had divine testimony born to them and obtained a good report. So we look at this and we see that faith brings a testimony to the world. And the Bible says, in fact, a few chapters down in chapter 11, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God without faith. So we've got to come to him by faith, believing that he is a faithful rewarder when we put our trust in him. Now, as we look at this chapter in chapter 11, we see that uh, it starts off, actually, it starts off looking at, at the very basics. It doesn't start off with, with, with an individual. It starts off with this basic fact that God wants us to have faith that he can create something out of nothing. And he uses the example of creation. And we're going to just read a few more verses down here. For it says, by faith, verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds during the successive ages were framed, fashioned, put in order and equipped for their intended purpose by the word of God. So that what we see was not made out of things which are invisible. The New Living Translation says, By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And it's very interesting because in the book of Genesis, where we read about how God did create the heavens and the earth, it says, the word that it uses there is that the, that the earth was without form and void. There was nothing there. And when we look at those words in the Hebrew, what it means is that at the very beginning, before God created the, the heavens and the earth, before he, before he created the universe, the, the, the words without form and void have this idea of there being like an empty space of desolation. That there was nothing but chaos. Before the world, world was formed, according to the Bible, there was just a big area of chaos and confusion and darkness. And the Bible says that God spoke and it all, it all happened. Let me read to you from, uh, from Genesis, right back at the very beginning. Let me just read to you um, what it says in Genesis chapter 1. Excuse me, was I just get that? The earth was without form, ver- chapter 1, verse 2, and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said... Let there be light, and there was light, and so on and so on. And if you read through that chapter, you'll see that God kept, it said, God, let there be. God spoke, and we see that in, 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 in Psalm 33, it says that he spoke, and it was done. Just as he spoke the word, let there be light, there was light. Now, the reason that I have just really honed in on this point is that faith says Faith means having confidence in God. And faith says that God can create something out of nothing. And we know that he did that at creation. We know that he brought order. Now, this morning, on a Tuesday morning, our house is like a madhouse. 
because Jane is running around trying to get all her bits and pieces and the bread and the stuff at the same time get William sorted. And I'm running around, like I'm up till seven o'clock and I'm running around because whatever it is, I don't even pray for me ladies because whatever it is, I never seem to get this word until the very last minute. I have a bit of it, but it's like I know it's not ready and it's, it's not like it's not cooked. So I'm up early in the morning and I'm saying, please Lord, help me get this written down the way you want it. And, and it's like we're all buzzing around and the house, and we're at the same time on a Tuesday morning, we have a wee girl who says she's the best wee hero I know. And she comes in to clean our house. She's a wee gift from God. And she comes in on a Tuesday morning. And um, this morning, as she came in, I had this thought, she comes into this house every Tuesday and chaos. And she walks out and there's order. <laughs> we come in and it's all, all of a sudden, everything's in order. And I thought, I said to her, I said, you know, I said, you know, um, you get, uh, you get a, you know, I'm going down to speak about how God can bring order and chaos. But that's what you do here every Tuesday morning. And she just laughed, you know, because she's so quiet. She just comes in and gets about her business and just works away. And you see, God can do that in your life. And that's why I think it's so important that you understand the power of God's word. What he speaks has life in it. He's a God of life. And when he speaks into your life, then there is life. And, you know, Colossians 1 and 16 says, Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God, and he existed before anything was, and he is supreme over all creation, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we can, that we can see, and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world, and everything was created through him and for him. Listen, Christ is unique. He is the Son of God and he's in control of everything. And he sees the areas of your life that need order. He sees the things that need his power and his victory. Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and, uh, and earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. And we adore you as one who is over all things. So believe it or not, he created the world and he brought order to the world. And believe it or not, he can look at your life and your life is no greater challenge to him than making the, the world and creation. Would you agree with me? If he, can bring, if he can bring order and look at our world and look at the structure and everything and even our bodies and the whole reproductive system and the trees and everything coming back to life after the winter and everything just speaks of his glory. Everything speaks of his beauty and, and how he brings order and glory into everything that he, that he touches. And, and you have received him to be your saviour. You've asked him to come in and change your life. So he is the one who brought order out of all this chaos of creation and he is the one who can bring order into your life. And you can actually bring forth out of your life things that you'd never imagine, and beauty, and wonderful things. And I just think that is amazing. And as I thought about that, as I thought about that over the last couple of nights, I just remembered how God did that for me. Because there was a point in my life in the 90s where I felt like there was such chaos and such disorder, and it was like I was in a, a dark pit. It was like I couldn't, I couldn't, I felt I couldn't get out of it. I felt I was closed in. I felt that, that my life was going down the tubes. And, and yet, God stepped in. And you see, the, the wonder about it is that the first command that God made in creation was, let there be light. Do you know, when your life's a mess, the first thing that God says to you is, you need to let the light in. When there's trouble, if you don't walk in the light as he is in the light, then you can't expect the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from all sin. He wants us to walk in the light. He wants us to bring all that hidden work that the enemy has been doing. All those wrong thoughts, all those wrong beliefs, all that, all that stuff that troubles you and you haven't actually been real about. He wants you to bring it into the light. And he wants you to say, here, Lord, I, I'm going to acknowledge this. I'm going to confess this. And I'm, going to, I'm going to bring it into the light. And I'm going to ask you, please wash me clean. The blood of First John 1, chapter 7 says that when we walk in the light, as he is in the light, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that means that he can begin to do the work. He can begin to reconstruct. He can begin to put things back into place again. He can begin to bring forth the order in your life. And as I was thinking about this uh, through the night, 
I was thinking about how it happened to me, and uh, I suppose I I was thinking that that um, in my life, if you can imagine my life was like kind of like this, you know, I being born here and born my way up here, continuing to live, you know, in my life, I had lots of difficulties and troubles, you know, losing my mother and stuff around this age, and then later on, you know, uh, with the marriage and stuff, and and around here there was a lot of stuff. That was going to bring around, was bringing me a lot of trouble. And what looked to be up ahead was, you know, divorce, failure, disappointment. Can't make these fast enough. Disappointment, <laughs> discouragement. We could find a lot of disses and discouragement. What other disses can we find out there? A lot of them. You know the disappointments and the discouragements and this disillusionment and all of that stuff, and all of that is what seemed to be, you know, coming up ahead. But you see, God speaks to us through His Word, the same way as He spoke, and it was done in creation. That's what He does when we come into the light and we bring our stuff into the light. He begins to speak, and His words have life. And at that particular time, one of the strong words that God gave to me was that. Uh, and I was facing divorce, I wasn't divorced at this stage, and I was very, very broken. And one of the words that God gave to me was uh, that if I would pursue him, that I would surely overtake and without doubt recover all. So I knew that God wasn't going to give me back the marriage, he wasn't going to make everything perfect. But I made a choice, which was based on his word to me, that if I would pursue him, that he would make sure that I would overtake the divorce and all the rest of it and all the stuff that would actually mark me as failure and close me off for doing anything for him and write me off, that God would actually help me to overtake that and that without doubt I would recover all that God had originally planned for me. Now, isn't that a pretty good word? And I remember just in my simplicity, I don't even think I realised the fullness of it at the time. I think just over the past month or two I've been thinking about this and thinking about what a true word that is. What's the word that God's given to you? He told me to pursue him. He said to me, if you pursue, pursue me, you will without, you shall surely recover all. And actually, I forgot about those words until recently. I always said you shall without doubt recover all. But looking at it again, I looked at it and it actually says, you will surely overtake and without doubt recover all. Now I want to show you my wee diagram and I want to show you what God's done for me. So instead of all this doom and gloom here with all the, the divorce and the failure and all this stuff that I saw just being impossible, that, you know, I mean, I made a real mess of it, ladies. I want to be honest with you. I mean, I made a lot of choices and a lot of stuff and I ended up coming off the mission field and feeling an outright failure. Everything just like burned up in my hands. There was like, a, it was like I was just left forsaken. It seemed like all the best laid plans had gone apart. But you see, I began to realise that if I pursued him, if I forgot about mission and forgot about all that stuff and just kept my eyes on Jesus and just pursued him and let him thrill me with his love and just, just be in his presence. And, and we've been talking, I was, when I was in America, we talked about Esther and how like, she had a, a year at the spa. And I was saying, we need, a, we, need a, we need a good, we need to spend time every week at God's spa, soaking in his presence. Loving him, letting him love us. And if we will pursue him, do you know what happened to me as I began to do that? I began to overtake. I love the fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I began to overtake all of this stigma and all of this shame and all of this stuff that was associated with failure. And God took me up. Well, I think the fascinating might be the right one. We're embarrassed. We're God can do for you. Does that make sense? If you pursue him, he'll take you past all the obstacles that you see. There'll not be obstacles. He'll actually use the things that you think are the problems. He'll actually blend them in and use them to teach you and train you so that you can go on faster. And that you can. And, and you know what? The honest truth was that before all this bad stuff happened to me, and a lot of it was to do with my own self and wrong choices, we all make wrong choices, before, before I made all this mess, I never intended to ever be able to do anything like what's happening here in Egos. 
It was never in my chart. I didn't know, I never thought, I, I didn't even want to ever uh, teach publicly from God's word. You don't know what God's put in you. You don't know what he has for you. What's on the overtaking? What's on the without doubt recover all? Because he has plans set in place for your life. And he knows what they are. And he wants you to know you, that he, he, he can recover what you think's lost. And he can work it into his plan. And he can bring beauty out of ashes. And he can set things in place like you've never imagined. And so that was the first point. Not only that faith means having confidence in God, but believing that faith can create something out of nothing. That, create, that faith can create a message out of a mess. That's a good word, isn't it? A message out of a mess. Now, I know there's a lot in these notes, and if I was to go down all of these notes, I think um, we'll be here until tomorrow morning. So I am going to kind of fast them through this a wee bit as well. Okay, so let's read on to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. And it says there, it was, um, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's, Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So we see that there's something about Abel and we need to look back to Genesis to get the, the story. And I know that many of you will know this story, but there may be people in here this morning who don't know the story of Abel. And so I am going to go through it. And forgive me if I get a wee bit into this story, because I think that there are some really good lessons about the story of, of Abel and his brother Cain. You see, at the very beginning, Adam and Eve, you know the story of Adam and Eve and how uh, when they sinned, they chose not to believe God not to have faith in God, they chose to listen to the lies. And because they chose the lies of the enemy, they ended up uh, with not only bringing sin on themselves, but into the world, so that all of us from that time forward, we are born into the world with this kind of sin nature because of the choice that they made. But when, when they realized that they were, you know, that they, that they had shame and they realized they were naked and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, we know that, that God, provided skins to cover their sin. Now, Philip uh, Emerson on Sunday morning was referring to this, how their sin caused the death. It caused the, the first time that anything died was in the garden. And because, uh, because God had to, he had to, the animal had to die to provide forgiveness for their sin and to cover them. And you see, we need to remember that um, that this is the first prophetic picture of what Christ would do. Because when the animal died, the skins covered their, 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 their shame. And when Jesus, it was a prophetic picture of how away down the centuries, how Jesus would die so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. That he would become sin for us. That he would be like that first animal that was slain. And Philip described on Sunday morning how Adam must have stood in amazement, never having seen death before. And thinking, is this, is this what my sin has caused? This poor innocent animal had to die to cover me. And that's exactly a picture of what happened, uh, as what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But then after Adam and Eve, as we go into the next chapter, we see that they had two sons. One called Cain, he was the oldest one, and one called Abel. And we're going to look at the story of these two boys, and I think we're going to see, learn some lessons, because uh, the first thing we said today was that faith means having confidence in God. The second thing we said was that faith means that God, that we believe and know that God can create something out of nothing, that he can bring order out of your life, just as he did out of creation. And now thirdly, we're going to see that faith means obedience. Because if we really have faith in God, if we really are confident that what God says is true, then we will be obedient to do what God tells us to do. Would you agree with me? Faith means obedience. And we're going to see that these two boys, the example that Hebrews 11 gives, is about two brothers, and one was obedient and did things, did things the way God wanted him to, and one wasn't. One wasn't obedient. So we're going to read about these two boys and we're going to read them from Genesis chapter 4. 
It says in uh, chapter t- two that uh, that um, chapter one says that it's Eve conceived and bore Cain, uh, and then um, she had um, then she bore again, and this time his brother she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, the picture is, and uh, you could, I, I just, I'm just been saying, Lord, this morning, keep me on track here, because I don't want to go off at a whole lot of angles. But the picture is these two boys, they've been born, they've grown up. Uh, Cain, he likes, he loves the ground. Remember that after Adam and Eve sinned, that the ground had actually been cursed. But he, he loved he loved growing things, and he was a man of the ground, so he was growing his vegetable crop and whatever else. But Abel, he, he loved the flock. He had a herd of animals. We don't know what they are, maybe sheep or whatever. And uh, it, we're told in this story that, uh, that Cain worked the land and that he brought this vegetable offering to God. And we're told that God didn't receive or accept his offering. But whenever his younger brother Abel brought the blood offering of the flock of animals, then God was pleased with that. And because, because Cain's offering wasn't accepted, then he got into a rage and became very, very angry. Now, the point of all of this is that the problem with Cain's offering, the problem was that he wasn't obedient. Because from the beginning, the offering for sin was the animal. God had given, covered the, the Adam and Eve with the, the, the blood of the skins of the animal whose life had died. And without doubt, God had told them that without sin, without, without blood, that there was no forgiveness of sin. And we have been reading that and learning that in Hebrews. That was what God was saying from the beginning. But Cain, he decided that he would do it his own way that instead of bringing a sacrifice of blood to God, that he would come with his vegetable crop. He would come on his own stuff that he had done. Now, there's a wee, wee quote here um, from a Bible commentary called Arthur W. Pink, and here's what he says. The problem with Cain's offering was that he insisted on approaching God on the grounds of his personal worthiness. Instead of accepting God's way, he offered to God the fruits of the ground which God had cursed. So we see from this story that it's really, really important that we obey God and that we come to him in the way that he tells us to come to him. Now the trouble is that a lot of people, and I'm sure there's nobody in here who believes this, but a lot, of, a lot of people think that they can impress God by their good works. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that if they work hard enough and, and do plenty of good works, that somehow that will make them acceptable to God. But Ephesians 2 tells us that that's not the truth. For it says that it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works, lest anyone should boast. And in the, in the New Living Translation, here's the way it puts it, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So straight off today, we need to remind ourselves that if we are going to come into God's presence, we come not on our own good works, but we come based on what Jesus Christ did for us when he died in our sacrifice. That animal was a picture of what Jesus would do, so that we can be clothed with his righteousness. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. It's a divine exchange, and we can walk in his righteousness. And I think that we all know that's important, to get saved, to come, to come into relationship with God. But we need to remember that that's the truth as we continue on our journey with God. Because sometimes I think, we begin to think, well, I know that I got saved, I came to God and I was accepted because Jesus died for me and I know that. And I know I couldn't work to get to heaven. I know my good works would never be good enough to take me to heaven. I know I have to trust in what Jesus did for me, that he died instead of me, he paid my, the price. I know that and so I accept him as my saviour and I know I'm saved. But then as we continue on in the Christian walk, we begin to begin to think that it depends that God accepts us on a different way. That it depends on, on how much we, we pray or how good we are or whatever. Now, God wants all those things, but 
We don't do those things in order for to be accepted. We're accepted because of him. We're accepted because of what he has done. And if the enemy starts accusing you, oh, you weren't doing this, or you did, you did that, and you shouldn't have done it, and you didn't, didn't do this, and you should have... If you start to hear those voices, you need to remember that you're not accepted to God because of what you've done or what you haven't done. It's because of the work of Christ. And that's being obedient. And God wants us to walk in obedience and to trust him. And to believe what he says, that his blood was enough to cover your sin, past, present and future. And that he loves you and he wants you to, if there's stuff that's not right, he wants you to bring it into the light and he wants to get it sorted and he wants to take you forward. But he doesn't want it. He doesn't want you to live in disobedience. He doesn't want you to believe the lies of the enemy and live in condemnation and just, you know, I just see so many Christians and they're just, you can just see them nearly bending over and over because they just feel they're not making it. They feel they've, you know, they've let God down so often. How can he possibly? Of course you let God down so often. Should we all let God down? I have a friend who keeps saying to me, why do we, why do we expect anything from our flesh? Like, why do we expect, why do we even imagine that there might be something? Should we know that in our flesh there's not any good thing? That's what the Bible says. It's your new nature, the Holy Spirit, that empowers you to live for God and to obey him and to get the victory. And for many of us, we fail a lot of times before we actually walk in victory because God teaches us from our failures. He said, God, it's just like your baby didn't jump out of the womb and jump out of the pot and start running. <laughs> your baby had to be nurtured. And God says, we're just like little babies when we get saved. And he feeds us on his word. And we help each other. And we get up on our feet. And we go for him eventually. But there's a learning process. And very often it's through making those mistakes. But the enemy would be right in there to tell you you're done for. You've just done it once too often. And that's it. God's fed up with you. No, he's not. He's a patient, loving, long-suffering, compassionate God who longs to just hang in there with you. He doesn't tell you to be patient and for him not to be patient. He wants you to be patient because that's what he is. He's a God who's full of patience and loving kindness. And he wants to lift you up and get you going. And so it's important that we know that, that having faith means obedience. And obedience means coming to God the way he says to come. Depending on the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That his blood paid for your sins. And that's how you approach him. And then faith means having a right attitude. And I really wanted to continue sticking with Cain and Abel here for a wee while because um, I, I'm, I realise I'm taking a wee bit of a detour out of, in one sense, out of Hebrews 11, in another sense I'm not. Alright, so we're sticking with these two brothers because I think there's some lessons for us to learn. Let's just read from Genesis 4 and I'm going to read a wee bit lump down here from verse 4 down to about verse 16, okay? Where will I read it from? I'll read it from... Um, I'll read it from the New Living Translation. I have three Bibles in front of me here, all different translations. So I'm kind of, um, I'm kind of working around them here. We're going to look from chapter 4 then. Okay, so Abel brought the gift, the best portions, and the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he didn't accept Cain's and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, another translation, the uh, New King James Version says, that his countenance fell. And actually the Hebrew means that his many faces fell. I think Cain, we talk about being two-faced, um, I think that tells us something about Cain. But the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? The, um, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's keeper? But the Lord, but the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you no matter how hard you work. From now on you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, for I will give a sevenfold punishment, etc. Um, 
the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now I'm reading that right down and I'm reading it in that translation just to make it easy to follow and just for us to get a grasp on this. Cain didn't obey God and there were consequences. And you know, I just think it's really important that we say this at the beginning today, that faith means obeying God, doing things his way. Because do you know what? If we don't obey God, there are consequences. We really need to get that. There's no point in us saying, you know, life's giving me a, a curved ball and things are really hard for me, you know. But you know, if, we, if we're determined to do it our own way and not be obedient to the way that God says to live, then we can't expect to have the outcome. There's a, there's a, if, we do, if we obey God, there's a reward for that. There's an outcome that comes with obeying God. And that's why it's so important that we understand what he says. So here's the thing. Cain, it says, was very angry. Now, oh Lord, help me to keep this in the right line and to get through this without, without, too, without it being complicated. All right? Open our ears, Lord. Okay, the word for anger in, 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 Jack, in, in Genesis is actually the word that means he was hot. Now, you've talked about people being hot-headed. The Hebrew, that's what the Hebrew means. He, was, he had got himself into a rage. He was angry at God because God had accepted his brother's sacrifice and he hadn't accepted his. And he was in this rage and he couldn't cope with God's correction. See, there's, there's trouble with all of us. God wants you and he wants me to be willing to be corrected. Did you ever meet somebody and, and you could never tell them anything? They had what we would call an unteachable spirit. That is, you see, it, I tell you, I keep looking at myself and saying, Lord, please help me. I do not want to be unteachable. Please show me the things that are wrong. And, and I'm going to share some stuff with you today that's pretty personal because I think it's really important that we're honest with each other. There's something in all of us that doesn't like to be corrected. Would you agree with me? And Cain, he disobeyed God and he didn't want God to correct him. And uh, you see, the thing was, he had no, it seems like he had no love in his heart for his brother and it seems that he was unwilling to be corrected and unwilling to repent. And you know what? If we want to go on with God and reap the rewards of obedience, we need to constantly repent from doing things the wrong way and say, right, Lord, I'm ready now to be obedient and do them the right way. And so Cain was not willing to do that. And then the Lord said this word to him, which is a very interesting word. He said, um, uh, if, verse 7, uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, now listen to this very interesting word, sin lies at the door. And it desires to, it des, its desire is to have you, but you should rule over it. Now, it's a very interesting, that wee phrase, sin, this, this is what God said to him. Sin is lying at the door. Now, the notes in the Spirit-filled Bible say this, that this language, sin is lying at the door, describes sin as a demon crouching like a crazed animal at Cain's doorstep. Now, could you get that picture in your head? Like, at the, at the door of his heart, it's like Satan has planted a demon thing that wants him to sin, and it's like a crazed animal ready to pounce in if Cain will open the door for it. And you know, this week I thought, how often, there's a couple of times I, I felt like um, maybe saying something, or you know, sometimes you may be a bit loose and you maybe go to say something, and you think, right, maybe I shouldn't say that. And I just had that picture of how the enemy actually so often is just like at the door of our heart or our mouth. And he's just wanting to get us in there, just ready to pounce to get us to, to, to hurt God and to sin and to maybe say something we shouldn't say or do something we shouldn't do. And, and so this is the picture that the enemy, Satan, had the demonic there ready to, to come in. And unfortunately, Cain was just about to open the door and let the enemy have his way. He was just at that point where he was listening to Satan's voice. And Satan stirred up this hatred to such an extent that he was ready to go out and murder his brother. Now, you and I might look, you know, very past at each other and say, well, that's awful, like, I wouldn't do that. But you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that the root of murder is actually speaking against our brother 
or a sister. I think that's quite scary. And, and um, Matthew 5 and 21, these are the words of Jesus. He said, we must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And, and it tells us in, in Matthew, uh, it says that you have heard uh, that you must not murder or you are subject to judgment. But this is Jesus speaking. He says, I say, if you even are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And so I have been really, really challenged just about how God does not want me to be like Cain. And, you know, so often, Cain was jealous of Abel. He was angry that God had accepted Abel's sacrifice. But he was jealous of Abel, and he was, he was angry and jealous. And that's a serious combination. And when we, it wasn't just ordinary anger, it was rage. It was hot rage mixed with jealousy. And you know what, ladies? I honestly believe that that can happen to any of us. We can become jealous of someone or we can, we can, we can just get angry about a situation or whatever. And you know what? We can speak words that, that would hurt our brother or sister. And I believe that God really wants to speak to us about that. Now, last night, I went to bed. and See, yesterday, I have to share this with you. Because yesterday was a... In the morning, it was a lovely, lovely time with me. I spent the whole morning just listening to worship music and just soaking and talking to God and praying. It was lovely. And I was thinking, I'll have lots of time in the afternoon and I'll be able to write all this down. And then the afternoon came and I tried to get onto the computer and the computer had frozen. Completely frozen. And I'm running about like a headless chicken and I had bits and pieces already written down but I couldn't get into it because it was frozen. So I'm saying to Jane, right, we'll just have to relax here and we'll trust the Lord and all the rest of it. And then later on, but a wee bit, finally the, the computer did get it sort of, it, it got it on the go again and got a bit more done. And then I was thinking, right, I've got this evening and Jane and William go out. And then there was a wee call to come down to the church here about a wee thing. And I thought, yes, I need to do that. So it came down here. So actually, at, at one point in the afternoon, whenever the computer was stuck, I was like, you know, do you, do you ever start to fume? I felt like I was fuming. And, and as I was doing it, I noticed I was at this Bible in front of me and it was just going like this computer has to get going. And I just looked down and it says, we need to be patient. <laughs> and I just felt like my own words hit back to myself, you know? So anyway, then later on last night, I came back from here about 10 o'clock when I got home and I said, right, I, have to, I can't leave this until the morning. I have to do something. So anyway, I kind of... The rest went to bed and I spent a bit of time. Got it rolled into bed about 12 o'clock and I'm, all this stuff's going through my head. And, uh, and I was thinking to myself, you know, um, Lord, what, what are you really saying to us? What is the lesson here about Cain? What are you saying? And you know, I woke up this morning and I was very conscious that I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw like somebody was knocking the door of our house. And it was like, this person knew that I was guilty of stealing something. Right, and I've never stolen anything in the world. Never gone out like to rob anybody. But in the dream, I thought, I have to get out of here because if that person comes in and tells everybody what I have done, I'm for it. And I literally ran in the dream and I was hiding. And actually I have to say Jane was with me, so she must have been as guilty as I was. <laughs> And it was like we were hiding and we were thinking, hope nobody comes. And then it was like there was no way out. It was like it was going to be told. And it was like I was so ashamed. And I was thinking, and I tell you, in the dream, it was like, how am I going to face these, these women and these girls? Because what have I done? This is so bad. And it was, it was really, I woke up thinking, oh my goodness, God, I had a fear of God. And you know, I thought to myself, you know what, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Because there have been times that I've stolen somebody's reputation. There have been times that I've spoken with my lips in ways that I shouldn't have. I'm just confessing that to you. Because you know what? I'm no better than anybody. And, and I just felt like God was saying, he wants us to be careful about the way we speak and, and how we show love, how we have a different attitude. You see, God wants faith as having a different attitude to the world. Faith is loving our brothers and sisters. Faith is speaking well of them. Faith covers a multitude. Love covers a multitude of sin. Cain had no love for his brother. And God wants you and me, as part of the body of Christ, 
as part of the family of God, he wants us to love each other and to speak well of each other and not to be like Cain, not to be getting jealous and not to be speaking unwisely with our lips and actually stealing people's reputations by the words that we say. We need to be sure that we are not, you know, spiritually murdering somebody by the words that we speak. That's a good word, isn't it? And I just felt that's a word for me as well as everybody else in this room, that we would speak well, we would, that we would show love to, to our brothers and to our sisters. What time is that? Okay. So we see that God wants us to have confidence in him. That's what faith is, is having confidence in God. We see that, that faith it means that we, that we are sure that God can create something out of nothing, something beautiful. Faith means obedience. And faith means having the right attitude. Sin was lying at the door. And God was saying to Cain, you can overcome this. And I want to tell you, ladies, that before we actually... Now, I know there's times we slip and we... But, you know, there's a lot of times where we actually make decisions about what we're going to do. And when, when we, we know that we shouldn't do something, but we go ahead and do it anyway, it's because sin's lying at the door and the enemy's trying to tempt us and draw us out and the demonic's ready to get in there. And we actually need, I believe we need to see that picture. And it helped me this week. It actually helped me to realise, do you know what? There is a demonic thing around that will pounce and try to come through the door into my life. And I don't want it. And neither do you. I believe God wants us to be aware of spiritual realities, that there are principalities and powers, that there is a demonic realm, that the enemy does come against you, and he does try to get in through the door of your heart. But here's the thing that really blessed me, because this word for sin, it's the word chatta, which also means sin offering. So what does that mean? It means that the enemy's outside the door of your heart and he's like a crazed demonic thing trying to get in there and get you to commit a sin that will hurt you and hurt your life and grieve God. But it's also saying that there's a sin offering outside your door and that Jesus Christ is knocking at your door and he's saying, but I'm the offering for your sin and you don't have to do this and I'm going to keep you clean because of the offering for your sin. And you see, it's amazing because Leviticus 4 and 4 actually tells us that in the tabernacle, that it was outside the door of the tabernacle that people brought their sin offerings. Isn't that amazing? And that whilst the enemy's crouched and crazed there and wanting to get into your life, if you open the door to him, God is there and Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and he's saying, come on, let me in. I've died. I'm the perfect offering for your sin. You don't have to do this. I can help you overcome and I can cleanse you and make you clean. Revelation 3 and 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. God wants to have fellowship with you and he wants you to have the right attitude of his love. What did Jesus say? He said that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our thoughts, all our, all our emotions, and that we'd love each other as ourselves. When we love God and love the people around us, when we're refusing to hold on to unforgiveness, when we're refusing to have wrong attitudes about others, when we're refusing to judge people and to malign them and talk badly about them, when we're refusing all of that, we are receiving his love and his love's in us and our love's going up to him. And we're walking in love and we're walking in love this way as well. And the cross is about this from, he from heaven to earth but it's reaching out on either side of the people around us. And God wants us to have a clear connection with him and a clear connection to the people around us and to love ourselves in the way he loves us and to know that we deserve, that, that we, 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 whilst we don't deserve his love, that we, that we should accept it and receive it and know it and know that we are loved and love ourselves because he created us to be in his image. And then we read that, Cain, that God asked Cain where his brother was. And you see the liar. You see how Cain made a choice. He made a choice to bring the wrong offering. He didn't come by faith. He didn't come by bringing the blood of an animal in obedience to God. He came with his own works, with the, 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 the vegetables or whatever that he, that he grew from his land. He, he thought he could do it his way. Do you see how he rebelled against God? Do you see how he was disobedient, just like the enemy? Do you see how he allowed the enemy to come in with rage and hatred and murder in his heart? And how he was uh, un unrepentant in any way? And how he was a liar 
Now he's really showing that he's a liar because the Lord asked him about his brother and he said, am I my brother's keeper? He said he didn't know. He said, and God said, the voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now, we're, we're still kind of going down this storyline, but we're going to link in with Hebrews in a moment. You see, God gives life. And the Bible says that life's in the blood. And whenever, whenever Cain murdered Abel, the Bible says, God says, that he could hear the blood crying from the ground. Now, that tells me that that God is the one who gives life and he's the one who can hear the cry that comes from blood. What does that mean for us? Well, I believe it means that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood for you and for me, that his blood speaks over us. There's a cry up to heaven that his blood speaks forgiveness, cleansing that his blood continues. That's why I think we sing that hymn, his blood avails for us. His blood continually speaks from heaven. His blood has been shed, innocent blood, and it speaks for us. And so it tells us that Cain ended up being sent away in exile to the land of Nod. And it's very interesting that the, the word Nod means wandering. He was sent to wander the earth. And that word wandering has the same idea as shaking or trembling. You know what, ladies? You see people who, who don't humble themselves and who don't come to Jesus and ask him to forgive them and, and, and ask, recognize that Jesus died for them and they can't do it with their works. You see people who refuse the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made. When people refuse to believe Jesus and accept him into their hearts, you know what happens? They actually are launched into a life of wandering. Just aimless wandering. But when we receive Jesus as our Saviour, when we begin to, to have a different attitude to the world around us, when we begin to obey him and bring our attitude into line with what his word says, when we begin to trust his word and align our lives with his word, something happens where we begin to get purpose and direction and for God begins to work all the things in our lives together for good. And he gets us lined up into the plan that he has for us. And something happens that brings great joy to God's heart. Because we are actually stepping into the plan that he has had for our lives from before the foundations of the world. I just see Cain, and I feel so sad with these words that we read, that he went out from the presence of the Lord. That's, the, that's probably the saddest epitaph over anybody's life that you could possibly make. He turned away from obeying God. He turned away from having faith in what God said. He turned away from God and he turned to a life of wandering. And God wants us to live a different kind of life. So far we've said that, we've said that that faith means having confidence in God. It means that believing that God can create something out of nothing. It means obedience to God. It means having a different attitude, the right attitude, the attitude of love, uh, the same attitude that God has towards us. It means showing others love uh, in the same way that God has shown us love, that we pass his love onto the people around us. And finally, it means devotion to God. And we haven't really time. I'm going to read the, the, these verses in, in Hebrews. I really feel it's important that we read these verses. And which of these Bibles am I going to go for here? Um, right, okay, we'll, we'll stick to the New Living Translation. Okay. It is by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did, verse 4. And Abel's offering gives evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Another translation says, though he's dead, he still speaks. Do you know what? If you do things God's way, if you're obedient to God, do you know what will happen? Even after you're long gone, even after you're dead, you'll still have a testimony. 
for God. It's not an amazing thought that by trusting God, by having faith and confidence in him, by having the attitude that he wants you to have, by through obedience and trusting him and believing him and obeying him, that actually your testimony can have an impact on the world that can continue speaking even after you're dead. That's what happened to Abel. He had a very short life, but because he trusted God and because he did he obeyed God and he brought the right sacrifice, the Bible says that his, that his story is still speaking today. And of course it is, because we're talking about it. And what God wants to do in your life will mean that you will leave something behind you that will influence the people coming up behind you, even though you're dead. Now that's pretty good in my book. And that's what I would love for my life. And then finally, the last three, one, verse five. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it's impossible to please God without faith. In Genesis chapter 5, it says that Enoch walked with God. What does that mean? It means that he was devoted to God. It means that he walked in companionship with God for about 300 years. And he was so close to God that one day, one day it seems like God just said, tell you what, sure, we're, we're walking out together today. Sure, we're meant to just walk on ahead into heaven. So he never actually died. The Bible says he was taken up into heaven without death. That's a picture of the rapture, isn't it? So that could happen to all of us. We could go up. We, we might never actually die. I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? And you see, this is the thing, and again, Philip's been talking about this, I'm not, I'm not using another line, I mean, it's been good. He's been talking about our devotion level. Last couple of Sunday mornings, Philip's been looking at our devotion level. Are we way down here? Are we somewhere about here? Or are we, are we a high devotion level? And we're not saying we're perfect. But you know, we've been talking in the prayer room this morning about stirring up passion. About how the Holy Spirit can stir up a flame of passion in us. There's something about loving God. And I think it's to do with knowing that your sins are forgiven. It's, it's to do with having confidence and believing that God is working something out of your mess. That is absolutely amazing. Something about believing God begins to stir up passion. Now I know sometimes we get tired. Physical tiredness, sickness can make us feel drained and all of that. But do you know, I believe that no matter what state you're in at the minute, even if you're going through grief, that God can stir up something in your heart to bring about a, a devotion to him as you experience his comfort and his love. I would love that all of our devotion levels would go up a notch. As there will be flames of passion here. Those are big flames. <laughs> Maybe not. Wouldn't it be amazing if the fire started to burn in our bones? Jeremiah said he couldn't even stop talking about God. He wanted to, but he couldn't because there was a fire burning in his bones. Wouldn't it be amazing if passion, if devotion, started to go right through this place and every one of us got infected? Wouldn't it be amazing if we all caught fire? Wouldn't it be amazing if we as women would go out of here red hot? and vibrant for the kingdom of God. I believe that's what God's doing in these days. I believe, you see, Enoch walked with God for about 300 years. But you know what? He was so devoted to God and so much at one with him that it actually it doesn't tell us much in Genesis, but the little book of Jude tells us that he prophesied at the end times. It actually tells us in Jude, See, I wonder could I get this real quick without taking another 10 minutes. Hold on a wee second to get this wee bit in Jude about him. Because it tells us in the book of Jude, um, and I haven't, yeah, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. But woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, they've run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished, etc. Then it goes on down. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. Walking with God, being devoted to God, enjoying God every day, means that we believe him, that we have confidence in him, that we want to have the same attitude that he has to the world around, want to show his love, that we don't want to be speaking condemnation, that's the devil's job, that we start to speak words of love and life over each other. When we start to live like that, we start to obey him, do you know what happens? Something rises up of this love and devotion stuff gets so high. The flames start to burn so much 
if we actually hear him more clearly. And when you hear God, then you can prophesy. Because prophesying doesn't always mean you're telling something about the future. Prophesying in the New Testament sense is mostly about speaking a God-given word for a God-given moment. It's a real word, and you can give it. You can, as you walk with God and enjoy Him, He will fill your heart with specific words, even for other people. And He will He will stir stuff up in you. Words for yourself, words for others, words for the church, words for situations, and you will begin to prophesy, speaking out those words. As we begin to wind up, I've been saying that about six times now. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, here it's half past. That's desperate. Okay. We, we are going to believe. We're going to believe for a fire to break out in this house. And we're not going to have any firemen around here with hoses. Are you right? Let's get smoking, ladies. Let's get smoking. So we're going to stand with you. I'm going to pray right now and then we'll stand and sing our last hymn. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word, Lord, is so powerful and that you want to speak into our hearts and that you want us to please you and walk with you. Lord, but Enoch did all those years ago. It's the way you want us to live and to walk now. You want us to experience your presence and to hear your voice and to prophesy and speak out words of life to those around us. Lord, you don't want us to be like Cain. You want us, Lord, to have that, that heart for you that trusts you. Lord, we're willing to be, to be repentant. We're willing to be corrected. Lord, would you please do that in all our hearts? If you search us and the things that need to be repented of, help us to be honest and open and to walk in the light and to know that daily daily cleansing and daily forgiveness and be able to walk in your strength and even through hard times, even through grief, to know your presence and your comfort and to feel that devotion level rising right up there until the flames come until the Holy Spirit bursts out and breaks out in your life and, and you begin to walk in the way that God planned for you to walk that you begin to pursue, to pursue Jesus and to know that you're overtaking and you're without doubt recovering all the plans that he has laid in place for your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, girls, I've gone on a bit long there. We're going to stand and sing Cornerstone. If you have to leave, that's okay. But uh, those of us that can, we'll stand and sing Cornerstone. <laughs>